0: And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now here's your host, John Engelhart, Racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning
1: Ponies. We're gonna bring you a fun filled show today, of course. We will be recapping the 142nd Kentucky Derby and also chiming in on its companion race, the Kentucky Oaks. And then uh, we're going to look forward to the Preakness Stakes. And I brought in uh, two top handicappers, award-winning writers, uh, Frank Angst, who uh, works for the Blood Horse. Uh, the whole time I was on the backstretch at the uh, Churchill last week, I couldn't help but keep bumping into Frank. I saw him on the walk over, or walking over, just behind Pat Day in the connections. So I just thought I'd kind of get Frank's uh, read on uh, the whole week leading up to the Derby, uh, what he, you know, thought about it. Were there any buzz horses? Uh, how everything shook out after the Derby? Also, uh, you know, Frank won an Eclipse Award three years ago. Interesting enough, his story was about how. There may never be another Triple Crown winner, and that happened a year just before American Pharaoh. So we'll check with Frank on that. And of course, uh, Matt Bernier has uh, had a meteoric rise in the game. Uh, he was uh, first uh, spotted on the, uh, the the Handicappers show uh, early on, is called Horse Players. And since then, that led to a position at the Daily Racing Forum. He's been on national television. Uh, he's won. Uh, handicapping championships all over the place so matt's nice enough he's going to step out of a private party and uh, and join us for a little bit well i hope uh, everybody had a uh, good derby oaks weekend i hope you pulled down your easy win forms uh we're not giving the names out but we did have winners of our handicapping contest of the derby odds uh, are we'll probably do the same thing for the preakness and the belmont so you've got a Get online at winningponies.com and check out the contest. Also, so pull down your easy win forms. We did have some big hits. Of course, uh, this week we're doing several graded races from Belmont Stakes. And just recently at Belmont, we hit a $1 super key for $5,477 and a $1 pick four for $2,887. Obviously, the racing at Churchill Downs now. We did pretty good there. On the third, a 50-cent pick five paid $5,362. So get those easy win forms. Go to winningponies.com. Well, it was uh, Nyquist, as uh, predicted here, of course, uh, a master of the obvious. I was able to give you another uh, derby favorite uh, just to run them down. Did, by the way, personally hit the trifecta. It was a pretty nice one, considering these were all legitimate horses. Uh, Nyquist, over-exaggerator, and gunrunner in the tri, Mohaman, uh, coming from Offutt to finish in the fourth spot. Then uh, rallying was sudden breaking news. Uh, Destin, Brody's Cause, Motom. The Japanese horse, Lanny, who I don't think caused too much problems. If you find him, was more spirit Then My Man Sam, Tom's Ready, Creator, Outwork, Dancing Candy, Trojan Nation, Oscar-nominated, he'll be back on the turf, Majesto, Whitmore, and they kind of just eased up with Chagaff. So uh, that, of course, was your Kentucky Derby. Now, the Kentucky Oaks, the whole uh, scenario changed there when the champion Songbird came down with a little bit of a fever, and uh, the undefeated Philly is... Did not make the trip, but the ones that did make the trip, all of a sudden the the, uh, gates filled up. And two horses that drew bad post, Catherine Sophia and Land Oversea, ran 1-2. It was Catherine Sophia, rated very well for Javier Castellano, is in a great zone right now. John Service trained, uh, just moved up after six furlongs, led by two in the lane, and pulled away by two and three quarter lengths. She's a daughter of Street Boss, so uh, very impressive there. The horse I liked, Land Oversea, rallied way far back from 11th and got up by a neck at 6-1. to one. In the third spot was Lewis Bay, who uh, we said was a stamina horse, got away at 5-1, to one, and Lewis Bay lasted by a head over Go Maggie Go, who was only making the third lifetime start of his career her career, rather. Uh, But it was uh, just a glorious two days. Believe it or not, it only rained once during the entire two-day program. And, of course, that was the race just before the Kentucky Derby. People were worried that, oh, no, don't tell me, you know, I've got to go change my bets and bet exaggerator because he moves way up in the slop. But, uh, no, it just lasted about 15 minutes. It came down hard. Everybody got to huddle up together, and then uh, by derby time, The track was fast, so uh, congratulations uh, to Doug O'Neill. Got to see him at a charity event on Monday for the Second Stride Foundation. Uh, He made some nice donations there, and, uh, you know, Team Nyquist, he passed along all the kudos uh, to all the people around him, Mario Gutierrez, and, of course, uh, the Redham family and their support of him, Uh, and now... Uncle Mo, we eliminate those questions. Everybody's like, oh, man, can he throw a horse that can go a mile and a quarter? As we stated last week, he never had the chance to go a mile and a quarter himself because he got sick just before the Kentucky Derby. And uh, now we know the battle between Uncle Mo and Tappet. Let it begin. It's going to be an interesting year because those two sires have really raised to the top of the game. Of course, the names that I just said in uh, Doug O'Neill and Paul Redham and Mario Gutierrez just need to go back three years. I'll have another one, the Derby and the Preakness, but – Got a little hitch in his get-along before the Belmont and was scratched. So we'll see what happens. He settled in uh, at Pimlico and uh, was with an interview with uh, Doug O'Neill today, and he said basically he just kind of jog him and take it easy with him every other day. And they figure after a mile-and-a-quarter win that didn't seem to take too much out of him, he says, that there's just no reason to ask him for any more speed. So uh, he'll be entered into the race with just over $3.2 million in earnings and goes into the race undefeated, uh, five grade ones, and uh, it'll be uh, very interesting to see exactly uh, who's going to line up against him. Uh, we do uh, have some information that came out. Uh, the good news is the Derby coverage averaged 15 million viewers. We always like to hear that about our sport, that people are watching, and then it parlayed into one of the best uh, hockey games ever that came on because people happened to have the station on. Now, here's what we are hearing from Marty McGee, This just broke about an hour ago. It looks like Brody's cause and sudden breaking news are going to wait it out for the Belmont Stakes. So there will be no preakness for those two, but it looks like Exaggerator and Lanny are going to go. Gunrunner, still undecided. Steve Asmussen hasn't pulled the trigger there yet. But Dale Romans though Brody's Cause won't be in there, will have Cherry Wine. So uh, Brody's Cause gets a little bit of a race. Cherry Wine did not go in the derby, didn't get enough points, so he'll come in fresh, as always. They'll be taking shots at Nyquist, but uh, from listening to uh, Doug O'Neill today, he's uh, very confident. Everything's going great. And if you think about it, all the horses that got entered in the derby, there were not any late defections. They all stayed sound and healthy right up to the race. Of course, that left some horses uh, on the outside looking in. Now, trainer Brad Cox is not fully committed, dazzling gem, but says if the colt works well at Saturday on Churchill, he intends to go into to the Preakness. Uh, other horses expected for the Preakness are awesome speed the uh, sometimes crazy Lanny, uh, Stradivari and Uncle Lino. So I think we're going to see more speed in here. It'll be very interesting, but, uh, you know, uh, Doug O'Neill says he's just going to leave it up to Mario as he has in, in all of his races and just see how it sets up. Uh, The odds maker uh, down at Pimlico doesn't want to be known as Mr. 3 to 5, but it looks like his record as the odds maker for the Preakness will stay perfect. He had 3 to 5 on California Chrome and 3 to (laughs) 5 on American Pharaoh. So uh, that's pretty much uh, what's happening in the Derby and the Preakness for now. Uh, What's interesting is Frank Stronach has announced that he wants to run a $12 million dollar Pegasus World Cup on January 28th at Gulfstream Park. The race will be restricted to 12 horses whose connections will be required to pay $1 million each to buy a spot in the World Cup starting gate. This is going to make for some very, very interesting conversation over the weeks ahead. Um, Edgar Prado, who cut his teeth on the Maryland Circuit, has decided that he is going to return to the Maryland Circuit full-time. Of course, Edgar a class act. He's won almost 6,900 races, has decided to go back there. Uh, he did win on Derby Day with a long shot I had uh, Divisadero for my friend Buff Bradley in the uh, Miami Mile Stakes and smoke 'em Kitten, uh, actually Smokin' Kitten in the uh, Miami Mile and the Woodford Reserve was on Derby Day. So he's excited about uh, returning to Mar- Maryland and of course our Jockey of the Week, no big surprise there, Mario Gutierrez undefeated in America's great race. He's two for two, and uh, he gets Jockey of the Week. So uh, that rounds out as much information as I get to you. There were so many stakes races on the Oaks and Derby card. You're just going to have to check them out yourself. But uh, uh, Teppin and uh, uh, Catch a Glimpse were very impressive and uh, maybe going on to other championship seasons. We're going to find out what happens when – Songbird gets healthy, and she can catch up to some of these three-year-old fillies that took care of the Oaks. One last thing, talking about fillies, Beholder did take the adoration stakes in her debut on Sunday. Gary Stevens was in the saddle. So good to see her back in training. She is now six years old, and B. Wayne Hughes of Spencer have said she may even race at seven if she stays sound. Right now she has a record of 16 wins, 21 starts, and three seconds earnings of nearly $4.5 million. All right, well, that's a look at what's happening now. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Eclipse Award winner Frank Angst. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's tough shot. got it for 2.8 seconds. Left to
2: left.
0: I don't care where they put him. This
2: one is out of here.
0: From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. We cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What?
1: America Sports.
0: You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me is my
1: friend Frank Angst, who's now with The Blood Horse uh before that he's with the Thoroughbred Times for a good dozen years and uh, now I am talking to an Eclipse Award winning writer ironically Frank won the Eclipse Award for a uh audio multi multimedia category called Waiting and Waiting for a Crowning Glory uh a generation repeatedly denied a triple crown winner and we were looking at California Chrome. Uh, it's kind of interesting now, uh, Frank, since you wrote that, glad you got your award and got that out of the way because now we've got a Triple Crown winner and we could potentially have another.
3: Yeah, maybe the worm has turned. I mean, for for whatever reason, uh, Triple Crown winners through history have come in bunches. We had three in the 40s and three in the 70s, so... So maybe we're on... Hopefully, it would be a lot of fun if we're going to have a, three of them together again. That'd be great. Uh, and well, I mean, it, Nyquist has done nothing wrong, that's for sure. No,
1: no, it, it would be great for the game. And quite frankly, Frank, I am so happy that... We can put this, hey, let's spread the races out. Let's change the distance. You know, people that wanted to tweak the race because all of a sudden they thought it had become impossible. I mean, thank God American Pharo raced that. And uh, we're yet to see if, if Nyquist can repeat. But let's face it. He actually came into the Kentucky Derby with better credentials than American Pharo. I mean,
3: that's the thing. Is I, I think... I heard more than one commentator say that there wasn't as much buzz going into this year's Derby. And I kind of wonder if people were assigning the Triple Crown status that American Pharoah enjoyed after the Belmont to his pre-Derby. Obviously, he was well thought of and he was the favorite, but Nyquist was actually lower odds. Nyquist had already shipped across the country and beat the East Coast top horse in a uh, type of Derby prep that we rarely see with two top horses faced each other before the Derby, and Nyquist, like American Pharaoh, was a two-year-old champion, but unlike unlike Pharaoh, he had won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. So I think within the industry and people that follow horse racing, Nyquist was very respected going into that race, and it showed up on the odds board.
1: I also think uh, it's interesting that it's going to put to bed another theory that
3: Uncle Moe's can't get 12 furlongs. Yeah, I mean, that was the... Uh, I mean, he certainly he certainly got a clue when two of his sons won the 8th final preps, Nyquist in the Florida Derby and Outwork in the Wood Memorial. So that was certainly a positive sign. But if there were any doubts left, Nyquist uh, certainly got the job done in the
1: Derby. He, he did. Uh, Sid Fernando wrote an interesting article and said it's all year long. It's kind of been a slugfest. Uh, between uh, Tappet and Uncle Mo, with their horses taking turns, you know, uh, Mohamin and Creator and some of the others uh, winning big races, and then the Uncle Mo's coming back and doing the same thing, as you pointed out. So certainly uh, two sires that have really risen to to the top of the uh, North American sire line. I know that uh, Uncle Mo at one time stood for 35. I believe he got bumped up to 75. It'll be interesting to see what he stands for next season.
3: Yeah, I, I would suspect that'll be going up. I, I just did a story on uh, stallions that have derby winners in their first crop, and uh, when that happens, you can expect, for one thing, the first thing we'll see is in September at Keeneland and the, and then the other yearling sales as well, Saratoga. Fasig took them Saratoga before that. I think you can expect to see a jump in Uncle Mo crisis, and, and that's the way it goes. People see something that works, and they want to get on board quick.
1: Well, on on Derby week when I was there, uh, we didn't sit down and have a cup of coffee and a donut, but I know our paths crossed a few times. Uh, What was the... the vibe you got from the Kentucky Derby, you may have alluded to it already. You know, normally there's like a hundred photographers and microphones sticking in bike, uh, Bob Baffert's, uh, barn and, uh, didn't have that this year. It was kind of, people were a little more spread out. Like, you know, after the, after the workout sessions, uh, which barn do I gravitate towards? Uh, did you notice that, that it was more spread across the board?
3: Yeah, I think some of that and Doug O'Neill went early the one day. I know at Nyquist and, uh... I mean, the O'Neal bunch, and it is kind of a team, he has a lot of people in individual roles in that stable, his brother picks out horses, and he's just done an amazing job of the last two, two two-year-old, the last two derby winners that were bought at two-year-old sales, not yearlings, Dennis O'Neal picked both those horses out, so very impressive, and the. you know, for years, John, we heard that one... Remember when there was that long gap up to Fusaichi Pegasus It got to 27 or 29 years without a favorite winning, and we heard one of the things that would happen was that the, the connections of the Derby favorite would just feel so much pressure. The O'Neill stable is just the complete opposite of that. They could not be more loose going into a big race. And I think it, I mean, I'm not going to say, first of all, you have to have a tremendous horse. But I think it does help the horse. I think they can kind of sense some tension sometimes. So I think that's a good atmosphere to have a horse. They got settled in at Keeneland for a month, as you, as you, I know you were out there for some of those mornings as well. And uh, I really think it was a good, loose approach uh, to let this horse be at its best.
1: Well, you know, uh, Let's face it, you know, you know Nyquist, uh, the fourth straight favorite to to win the Derby, paid six sixty to win, uh, but he completed the mile and a quarter in two hundred one point three one, which is the fastest Kentucky Derby since two thousand and three, and the fourteen thousand fastest ever. I didn't hear a whole lot of people going, "Wow, he went two seconds faster than American Pharo."
3: Yeah, it's it's funny. I think people have become a little forgiving of times because. As accomplished as we've seen, you know we've had a triple crown winner and we had a uh, dual classic winner in California Chrome, but neither one of them ran the type of time that Nyquist ran, and, and there were reasons for that. It was a slower pace early, but but not. I mean, Nyquist showed that he can go fast early, and he can stay, you know, in in a good distance for him and still have some pop at the end. To me, that was very impressive.
1: Well, as you know, he's always going to uh, face uh, new players uh, when, when he gets to Baltimore. And uh, from what I, I just read, it uh, it looks like, a, surprisingly, Exaggerator's going to go in there after him. The way Exaggerator put in that stretch run, and I know that Keith, uh, he was in the interview today too, uh, DeSormo uh, said, you know, if I hadn't had to wait a way little, Bit there at the head of the lane, maybe we could have had a little more, uh, you know, full steam going at him. On the other hand, maybe he was going to beat us that day anyhow. Um, yeah. Were you were you thinking maybe they were going to hold him back for the Belmont?
3: You know, I kind of like this move, John. I kind of like the quick turnaround. Uh, for one thing, there will there will be more early speed in the Preakness, which Nyquist can show he can handle. A, you know, a good solid pace up front. But that'll just add a little bit more hope for Exaggerator. it will have fewer horses to run through when he makes that rally. And then, for me, the big kicker is watching all those races Saturday at, Kentucky, at, at the Kentucky Derby Day, Churchill Downs, is there wasn't a single horse that made a big closing move to win. Now, it was a weird track because we also didn't see a gate-to-wire winner. Basically, the types of horses that won every dirt race that day for the style that Nyquist has, that pressing style, which, I mean, that's that's the best style you can have for American racing, granted. That's basically, if you had your choice, that's the style you would want, because just the way U.S. racing put, you know, they go fast early, and a lot of times the horse that can move up from that wins before the closer can get there. But I did, I do think Exaggerator was running against the track to an extent. Is it enough that he's going to turn the tables on Nyquist the next hour, but... That'll be the interesting question. You know, right now, I mean, I would say that's a reason for exaggerators' connections to at least take another shot in two weeks. Well, less than two weeks now, of course. Well, all I can say is if he runs second to him again, this horse is going to
1: get an inferiority complex because (laughs) I think it'll be the third time, Uh, or the fourth time, actually. Uh, It should be interesting. Brody's cause, I think Dale Romans is making a timely move. Give him a rest. We know that uh, he shouldn't have uh, distance problems with the mile and a half Belmont, and he's got a fresh cherry wine to go shooting the Preakness against this horse.
3: Yeah, I mean that horse is is definitely promising. A, a, a horse that really has caught my eye of the new shooters, new shooters at Stradivari, who's just put. I mean, he's run better every time and. The previous race at Keeneland was just a head turner. I mean, was very impressive. Now, granted, it was just an allowance race, but you, you have a trainer that uh, in Todd Pletcher that's definitely capable of jumping up from an allowance to win a big stakes. It, it's strange. Pletcher hasn't started a lot of horses in the Preakness, so he does uh, – he, he at least – this horse, to me, looks like the plan was always to go to the Preakness, which I think is to his advantage. At least it's on his schedule. I'm not ready to say he's going to jump up and beat Nyquist or Exaggerator for that matter. Because usually the new shooters, they don't. It's not too many times that they're able to pull it off. It's usually these horses that have already run in a Derby. But but he is a horse that I will at least evaluate and look at. Well, I think
1: you know again, Frank. If we uh, you know look at history, it is the horses that, for the most part, have foundation. And certainly, yeah. Exaggerator and Nyquist, and I guess I got to throw Brody's cause in there. are horses that proved as two-year-olds that they were athletes, and exactly. I, I think they're always going to rise to the top. And, and I really do think that in, in the Preakness, we are going to have some new shooters. But uh, I, I know my 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 big exacta ticket is going to be Nyquist and Exaggerator. Lord, I was blessed to get the the, the, tri- the try in the Derby, and uh, I, I guess uh, Asmussen's kind of uh, still uh, up in the air with Gunrunner. Uh, certainly, he's a horse that uh, could go in either race.
3: Yeah, it was funny. Gunrunner was my top Derby pick for most of the spring, and Outwork, uh, some numbers on Outwork caught my eye. I ended up making him my top pick, but uh, Gunrunner and Nyquist, I had both of those in my, my list of Trifecta, which... I hit, but didn't pay anything because no prices came in. But uh, Gunrunner, I mean, he's he's another horse. Even with the third and the Derby, he's really done nothing wrong. He just runs his race every time, and I think he's going to he's gonna have his grade one day. It's very soon, I would think. He's a, he's a tremendous horse to watch in person. Well,
1: uh, Frank Anks from the Blood Horse. I've only got about a minute or so left. Just wanted to get a quick read from you on the $12 million Pegasus World Cup. you have any horses that you're going to pay a million dollars to get in the gate?
3: Boy, it's a unique setup that Frank Stronach's come up with there. And, uh, I mean, it's something I'm going to keep paying attention to to see what happens and see if this all comes together. I mean, it, it's it, to me, the way I'm reading it is you basically become a partner with with the track for that race because they're going to share some of the handle and, the proceeds and what have you to come back because of the race. But it'll, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Frank Stronach, he's put a lot of ideas out there. Some of them come up short, but some of them have come together. I mean, the racing all year at Gulfstream has done very well. It's handled very well on Saturday, so he's definitely had, you know, some some ideas that people first hear. It, they think, you know, oh, it's crazy, but then the more you listen to it, it really comes together, so... I'm not going to pass judgment yet, but, I mean, if it comes together, it'll certainly be tremendous to watch. Well, we'll find out. We've been
1: talking with Eclipse Award-winning writer Frank Angst. He's also a good handicapper. I just want to bring him today on, without asking him to handicap races, just to kind of tell us what was happening, his views of uh, of, of the Derby, his forward views uh, to the Preakness at Pimlico and Frank I thank you for spending time with us tonight on winning ponies thanks John I appreciate it alright that was Frank Anks from the Blood Horse we're going to take a little bit of a break here when we come back we're going to be with one of the top handicappers in the country you see him every week on DRF live and his own show on the Daily Racing Forum the Matt Bernier show we're going to take a little bit of a break. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
0: The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. Leave the bitch's ass and then move well, on. I just, on I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, All crazy.
3: <laughs>
1: NFL, MLB, 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 NBA, NHL, NHL
0: speak, up, speak up or forever hold your mouth.
3: We ain't playing around here. Voice
0: Voice America Sports. <laughs> Today's Hot Topics. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
1: All right, and with me is Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. I used to have to read his whole resume, but I don't have to anymore. He's been on the show enough. And by now, he's made his presence known uh, on the the Daily Racing Forum site. Uh, You can see him partnered up with uh, my friend Dan Elman that was on with us uh, last week, a lot on DRF Live. But now he's uh, segued over to his own show, uh, the Matt Bernier Show, every Friday on... uh, the Daily Racing Forum site. Matt, I know I'm taking you away from a party. I hope you grabbed extra beer off the bar for the interview.
2: <laughs> it's a No big deal. It's just a little going away. One of my girlfriend's uh, co she's moving to Chicago with a boyfriend. But uh, no problem talking, talking some horses
1: with you, John. All right. Well, uh, Matt, uh, as I said to you off mic, uh, I was a little bit busy on derby day, so I didn't get to do one of my favorite things go to drF live but my son Casey was home watching the dog and he was tuned in to you guys and he actually made a few bucks did you guys give out some winners or was did Casey hit the wrong number on his betting machine
2: well I mean that's always a concern that you know maybe we're giving you the wrong sort of info if you just happen to luck out and hit the wrong the wrong button on whichever adW you're playing on we, we had a pretty decent week uh, it was a situation where I know Mike gear had a couple things that he really liked he was high on Cam and a lot kitten uh, Dan Illman and I, we were big on, on beat patrol, and unfortunately, I say unfortunately, we made up an exacto there. We ended up on the short end of the stick, but a couple other races, Sharp Azteca, I thought was a very impressive performance in the past day, and really the, the one that kind of stung for me the most was was probably going back to that uh, it, the Humana Distep, where I really loved Bird at the Wire going into that race, and she just seemed flatter than flat, and I know a lot of people want to say that Maybe it was a little bit difficult for closers to make up any sort of real ground. I I thought she was in a pretty decent position. I like what Mike Smith did, get her a little bit closer to the pace, knowing maybe it wasn't quite as fast as we thought it was going to be. And she was just flatter than flat. So for me, that was really my big play of the weekend. It didn't pan out. But we had a couple other horses that ended up being okay. And hopefully, like your son, some other people fared okay.
1: Well, I I got lucky. Uh, my, my big play uh, of the uh, of the day was my my buddy uh, Buff Bradley with uh, I'm going to say it wrong. I know Diversidio or something along those lines. Diversadero. When Diversadero. I bet that horse, he yeah, was 15 he ended up to one.
2: because I like world world approval. <laughs>
1: Oh geez, yeah, I I, got him listed down here with my little long shot mark, but uh, you know I'm I'm thinking walking away from the window. Man, I got fifteen to one on this horse. He just ran a one hundred buyer, you know, behind Reporting Star, and uh, then I look up at the screen when he comes across. I mean, I'm not really going to grouse about getting a winner, but boy, to go from fifteen to one to six to one, it's kind of took a little ouch out of the wallet, but ended up hit. Ended up hitting the try. in the derby so you know that wasn't bad because quite frankly the, i was surprised that the payoff was as good as it was in the derby because those were all logistical horses that you'd have to have on your ticket
2: yeah and really when you look at it we talked about it when we came back to the DRF live after the race concluded. that I, I, I didn't want to sound you know mean or, or certainly not bitter eh? at the end of the day i lost i took a shot against Nyquist, but It was a very boring result for me simply because it was the first choice, the second choice, the third choice, and the fourth choice that made up your superfecta. That was one that, you know, in hindsight, and it sounds like redboarding, but really, like you say, these are very logical horses that you didn't have to be a brain surgeon to be able to come up with. And like you said, the fact that it paid out as reasonably well as it did, that just goes to show when you get 20 horses together,
1: even chalk can pay from time to time. Yeah, I really did think though. Uh, we're talking with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum, that because there were all these horses and and you know people like to see the, the the mighty fall that I might get you know five to two, seven to two on Nyquist. I was really keeping my fingers crossed, but I guess uh, you know you know Joe Sixpack was saying, "No, I'm going to stick with this horse. Hell, he's never been beaten. He's won five grade ones. He's won from coast to coast and in the middle of the country, and." Uh, He's beaten the, probably the top competition in here a couple of times, um, and he, he got the job done. Now, in perspective, I was just uh, you know talking with Frack Anks about this. You know, something I haven't heard a whole lot yet, and maybe you have on the East Coast, is the fact that Nyquist ran a mile and a quarter, which they said an Uncle Mo couldn't, two seconds faster than the sensational American pharaoh.
2: Yeah, he did. And, and, you know, you touched on Uncle Mo. That was really my concern going into the Derby. It wasn't knocking this horse from a talent standpoint. He hasn't done anything wrong. He was seven for seven going into it. I just wasn't convinced that that pedigree really was screaming 10 furlongs. And I, heck, I didn't even think it, he wanted to go nine furlongs, which he did in the Florida Derby. It was just one of those things, though. And you looked at it and you mentioned the fact, for me, it's not even so much that he went two seconds faster than American Sparrows did, simply because. Last year, during the Derby, the track was a little bit quirky at Churchill's Downs. Some horses didn't take to it very well. A lot of people kind of wanted to make the, the argument that it may have been a little bit loose and it was hard to get a good foot. Uh, and for me, the most impressive part of about Nyquist's performance is the fact that he was up pressing that pace from absolute jump. You know, the half mile, say what you want about Dancing Candy, he's a legitimately fast horse. That half mile being in 45 and change, Nyquist wasn't that far off of it and he still had something left in the tank. i got to be honest. Again, I wasn't knocking this horse from a talent standpoint. I know how talented he is going into the Derby. I didn't think he wanted the distance. I don't have any sort of argument against him at this stage in the game. We talked about it a little bit immediately following the race. You can truly sit there and say that this horse at this stage in the game is more accomplished than American Pharoah was simply because he raced in the Breeders' Cup, and he won the Breeders' Cup juvenile. This is a very talented horse, and if he continues down this path, Who knows what we're looking at? Maybe we're looking at another Triple Crown winner, which sounds just insane to really say.
1: Well, to co-sign what you said, that half mile, don't forget, we've run this 142 times. That was the 10th fastest half mile in the Kentucky Derby. And uh, the the, the final time was uh, the fastest since uh, 2003, the fourthest fast Derby ever. So, you know, who, who knows what we're looking at? You know, and again, it's, it's going to be interesting. As you know, they're going to have fresh horses, uh, unless Steve Coburn gets involved, uh, <laughs> uh, take, taking shots at him in both, in both the Preakness and the Belmont. I think it's interesting that uh, Dale Romans has kind of got his uh, uh, shotgun loaded. He's got a fresh cherry wine that didn't have enough points to get in the Derby, and Brody's cause is going to get a little bit of a break. Either of those could be a threat down the road.
2: Yeah, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how this field ultimately comes together for the Preakness. You mentioned the Romans will have cherry wine. It'll be very interesting to see. There's a part of me that I've already got it set up in my head It sounds so bad, specifically because we haven't seen post positions. Uh, you know, the, the difference between the post position draw and the Preakness compared to the Derby, I think, is, is tenfold. The Derby, if you draw the one hole, unless you're a deep closer, that might be a death sentence. Um, the Preakness, I don't think things would be quite as fascinating to see where everyone ends up drawing. But there's just a part of me, and again, I'm falling into a bad handicapper's trap, of already thinking, the Preakness, he's probably going to be really tough. I'm already looking forward to Belmont Park here in about five weeks, because it's going to be very interesting to see. It's one of the races you and I will talk about here shortly. The Peter Pan is a very interesting horse in there. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I, I almost feel already like Nyquist gets through this test next Saturday, and then
1: ultimately three weeks from now we'll find out if he can handle a mile and a half. And there's a little bit of history with the Peter Pan and the Belmont. Well, like you said, we'll get to that. i uh, have got about three minutes here, and we've got a short field in the Grade Two Ruffian. It's a one-turn mile, uh, a quarter million dollars up for grabs, but uh, they uh, really couldn't uh, get more than a half a dozen horses to, to draw in there. How, how do you see this, this one uh, shaping up, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum? Yeah, it's disappointing,
2: like you alluded to. We've only got six horses in here, and, and, uh, you know, no disrespect to the connections. This isn't a vintage running of the ruffian. we don't have any monsters in here, I don't think. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to look right down to the inside and look at the number one cavorting. I've got to be honest with you. Her her most recent starts have really kind of left something to be desired, in my opinion, going back to the Breeders' Cup. I, I understand she had that far outside post. And she put in a bit of a bid, but if she was what everyone thought she was, which she was back down to seven two favorites that day, kind of thought she should have done a little bit better. The La Brea, I know it's Santa Anita. I didn't think there was any excuse for that effort. And then that distaff handicap most recently going seven on April 17th at Aqueduct. I I, I know she finished second. I don't think she picked the feet up. I thought it was a very disappointing performance. She'll take money. I'm not afraid to take a swing against her. I think the most likely winner in the race is the outside runner for Shub He's a six Karumba. You know, a horse that I've never really loved, but I'm starting to come around on her a little bit. Honestly, because of that most recent start in that top flight handicap, going nine furlongs, she started getting a little bit tired at the end, back to her left lead, drifting about. I think this turn back to a one-turn mile is going to do her wonders. But from a value standpoint, I don't think there's going to be anything there. She's a morning line favorite, seven to five. If I want to take a little bit of a stab with someone, I think the three spelling again for Brad Cox. Brad Cox is an up-and-coming trainer. Spelling, again, is a horse who's proven at a one-turn mile in the past. She won the Grade two Choluki last year at Churchill Downs in a one-turn mile. Won by four and a half lengths over a pretty decent one in Hot Chocolate. By that most recent start, I thought she was just okay. I think she moves forward out of that. Also worth noting, Cox scratched her last Saturday from the Havana to run running this spot. I think if you're looking for a little bit of a price play, it's three Spelling again.
1: Ah, very interesting. Yes, and I, I do agree uh, with, with Caramba. I, I didn't see the race visually, but if she was getting tired at odds on, uh, this could fit her very well. Of course, the the connections, the great Phipps family, uh, Suge uh, you know, sired by Bernardini, and the horses uh, never finish worse than second, so it's uh, it's kind of, kind of hard to knock that, without a doubt. Uh, at Belmont, uh, two wins in a second, and You know, you can measure every horse's best distance with a yardstick, two for two at a mile. We've just been looking at the Ruffian, the grade two Ruffian. They'll be carded as the seventh race at Belmont Park. Well, uh, as stated a little while ago, uh, Matt and I are going to take a look at the Peter Pan stakes that I find the most interesting race of the weekend because of the history that goes with this race and the impact that it could potentially have on the Belmont Stakes. It's run at a mile and an eighth. It's 200,000, but I think most in here, while well, certainly they'd like to get the top prize, might have their eye on a bigger prize uh, down the road. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here on Winning Ponies, and when we come back, we're going to be with one of the sharpest handicappers in the country, my friend Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies. <laughs> ...is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's at the, shot. got it With 2.8 seconds He's left to left. I don't care where
0: they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track?
1: And with one of my favorite handicappers, and he's certainly established, if you've seen some of the contests he's won, some of them for himself, some of them for charity, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. We're coming up on a race, the Peter Pan. It's a grade two, going a mile and an eighth at Belmont Park. But over the years, many trainers have used this race as a springboard to the Belmont. They don't have to do the gruel of the... Uh, Uh, race at Pimlico uh, on Preakness Day. They can take a little time off. They're on their home court. Uh, You can go all the way back to uh, 1957 with Gallant Man. Let's not forget uh, Coastal in 79. And it's a horse that turned out to be a pretty nice one by the name of AP Indy that pulled it off in 1991. It's been a little bit of a while since somebody's done the Peter Pan Belmont uh, double, but there's no reason to think that there's not a horse in here that Can't jump up. These, for the most part, Matt, are very lightly raced horses. I'd like to see a little more foundation in these horses if they are planning on going a mile and a half here in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, and I think that's what makes it an interesting sort of wagering proposition as well. Like you say, you've got a lot of lightly raced horses that they've got a lot of high accolades as far as the praise that they've received in their their short time out on the racetrack. Um, And you alluded to the Peter Pan Belmont double, I believe, The most recent one we had might have been Tonalist a few years ago. He caught a wet track in the Peter Pan. There's a horse in here that if anyone is going to go that Tonalist route, uh, I think a lot of people anticipate that it's going to be the number seven unified for Jimmy Jerkins and Centennial Farms. A horse that debuted going six furlongs down at Gulfstream Park. Got a very gaudy 99 in that debut. And look, I, I thought it was good. I wasn't going to say anything otherwise, but at the same time, it was a situation where I said, okay, great, you look good beating up against maidens or that have never faced any sort of winners in their career. Prove it to me against winners, and he certainly did that in a resounding way in that base Shore on Wood Memorial Day. It's a situation where, look, if this horse can successfully stretch out, you see Dixie Dick Union on the bottom, he's fly candy Bride, unified from a talent standpoint, may be the best horse in this race. I won't argue with anyone. Eric Donovan, who I think is the best morning line maker in the country, he pegged him at four to five. I think it's pretty accurate. Uh, I won't be pick him or, picking him or betting him here, but I'll fully acknowledge he may be the most likely winner of this trip.
1: Well, uh, uh, you might have a, a camera over my shoulder, but that is the horse I have an X by. And uh, I, just for our, our audience's sake, the horse has won at six furlongs and seven furlongs. Uh, he's going to be you know, stretching out to a mile and an eighth. But, boy, he's in the right hands. You know, uh, James Jerkins... Uh, has uh, established himself as one of the top trainers, uh, particularly on the East Coast. And I noticed that, uh, you know, since his last effort uh, on a Muddy Seals track going seven, uh, he's actually, he's got him working uh, six furlongs. Obviously, he, he's putting foundation into this horse in what little time he has. The horse only has two starts, uh, both of them as a three-year-old. And you also mentioned the name Candy Ride, Matt. I, I'll tell you what, it's... You know, I mentioned, you know, Uncle Mo, Tappet. I think Candy rides in the conversation with those horses as far as uh, what, what's been happening in, in his early crops. I think he deserves to be right up there.
2: I mean, you look at it, this is a horse who he himself was brilliant on the racetrack in his short career here in North America. But if you look at some of the horses he's already sired, whether it is you can get a mild surfer in Sydney's Candy or you can get a legitimate. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see it. And he's one of my favorite horses in the short time I've been in the business uh twirling candy i mean he's had some brilliant brilliant offspring and some of his offspring are turning in some brilliant sires twirling candy himself turned into a pretty good one with his first crop so i agree with you. candy ride deserves to be right up there with these sort of you know any any distance between a mile and a mile and a quarter they all come out running
1: yeah just like i said you know everybody had the uh un- uncle mo written off as, as a horse that maybe couldn't get the distance uh we'll find out um So we're we're looking at at the Peter Pan. Now, uh, obviously, the combination of Todd Pletcher and Velasquez, you get to see it every single day. They come in here with a victory out of the Oaklawn Park race, the Northern Spur. Looks like the horse has a little bit of rateability, comes in with an 87 buyer. But another horse that kind of catches my eye here, don't know enough about him uh, because he's coming in from the West Coast, is Phil D'Amato's Wild About Deb. What's your read on that, Colt? Wild
2: about Deb's interesting. Most of the time uh, when I have the ability, you know, we're not dealing with a big sort of race weekend or whatever it is. My focus is usually Southern California. And Wild about Deb is the horse you alluded to. That most recent start, you've got a 90 buyer that absolutely aired in the flop. It was a race that was taken off the turf. And it's interesting because if you go back to the first race, the debut for this horse, I know it looks like he ran second. And he was a million to one. That might have been the livest two-year-old race that we had last year going forward and seeing what we come as a three-year-old. You had Dancing Candy in there. You had Uncle Lino. You had a couple other good ones as well. And ultimately, he had this horse, Wild About Deb. I'm always very, very leery about a horse that throws up a giant fire on a sloppy track. I think this horse is good. I think it's going to be interesting. It's also worth noting, Phil D'Amato, outside of California over the past year, he's been very, very close. I talked about Beach Patrol at the top. He's over for 16 outside of California. He's had a couple that have run. He still got to try to break through that glass ceiling. I think Wild About Dev is a good horse. You talked about Decorated Soldier. I have no knocks about this one. That northern spur on paper, it's so much better than it actually looks. The 87 buyer makes him a contender. He was wide every step of the way. He had an outside post. This is a horse stretching out from six and a half to a mile. I thought it was a very good effort. And we haven't talked about the horse that I actually am going to end up betting in this spot. I think, I know a lot of people are down on him, and I know a lot of people are down on the Wood Memorial. I think Adventist, I'm projecting ahead. If I can make a future wager in Las Vegas right now for the Travers, give me Leah give me Adventist. This is the horse who has the talent. He just needs to figure out what the heck he's doing. He's very green. I don't know if Saturday's the day. I'm going to be betting on it that it is. I think Adventist has a world
1: of ability. I love it, Matt. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, Probably down to about the three-minute to post-time mark before I've got to check out of here. The Grade 1 Man of War huge race. It's the 58th running. My question is, what's the deal with all these European horses? Is there some kind of connection with Chad Brown? It's amazing. It seems like everybody that comes in from Europe with with, with a, a... European horse that's got legitimate credentials says, oh, well, you've got to go to the Chad Brown barn. And he's got uh, both uh, Morandi and Wake Forest in here. And as you know, he's got others in the barn. Yeah, it's good to be Chad Brown, isn't it? You get all of these horses coming from
2: Europe that can run. They come over here to North America, and they're in great hands. Obviously, he was under the suit of Bobby Frankel. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about Chad Brown. I love him. I think he's a fantastic trainer, particularly on turf. He's starting to get good dirt stocks. Um, and I, I do think that this race goes through him, and it's not through Wake Forest, in my opinion. I think Wake Forest is a huge chance. Agreed. Same with Kagan. They both ran. You know, They were a nose-apart two-back in the Pan American. I really think if this horse down on the inside, the one Randy can get a clear pass, he's been the most worst enemy in each of his two North American starts. This is a horse that, as a 2-year-old, was a Group 1 winner in France. He was beaten, finished second in the Group 1 French Derby as a 3-year-old. If he could get clean run. I think Morandi is a legitimately talented runner. I like him in this spot at a number.
1: Well, it, it, it is amazing because uh, Chad Brown and, and I really like the guy a lot. And again, I was a big Frankel fan, uh, who himself in, inherited a lot of good European runners and turned them into uh, North American uh, graded stakes winners. Uh, he, he just holds a strong hand here. Uh, I, certainly, Wake Forest wouldn't surprise me. I've been watching Kaigan, I. I Bet him at the Elkhorn and just got beat at the wire down there by the Big Hoss, who's got a great storyline behind him. A former claimer that three guys at the bar all had tied up in their uh, pick threes and pick fours, and set Mike Maker down. And says if he looks like he's got three legs, claim him. And <laughs> since then, uh, <laughs> uh, the big horse has won a couple of graded stakes races. But Kagan's always right there. I see his regular pilot uh, Joe Bravo will be in town, and uh, certainly uh, hard to knock Mark Cassie right now at Belmont. They're having a hell of a meet, he's batting forty percent.
2: Yeah, and boy, you know you talk about Mark Cassie. Whenever you bring his name up, you've got to allude to he and Norm as well as son. Uh, it's happened. Is just. Right now, Tappan might be the best horse in the country, male, female, sir, turf, doesn't matter. I think she's fantastic. But, again, Tiger makes a lot of sense in this race. Won't be done if he runs his normal bang-up effort.
1: All right. Well, uh, Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. We're getting to close out. Tell people uh, the format about your Friday show and how's it, how it's going. Friday, we're on at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We go for an hour. We
2: break down whatever the news headlines
1: are. We talk about some
2: races that I handicap a week prior, for better or for worse, and then we'll also handicap some come uh, this week. I have on Dick Girardi from the Philadelphia Daily News. We'll talk about the same things you and I talked about, the Kentucky Derby, Nightly. We're going to the preps.
1: That's great, Matt. You're doing a fantastic job. I love your energy. You're going to be in this game for a long time, my friend.
2: Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Whatever you want to talk horses, let me know.
1: Well, you know, I got your number, and I'm not afraid to call. All right. Well, we've been blessed to be talking with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum and Eclipse Award winner Frank Angst. We get some awful good people here on Winning Ponies. We also give out some awful good picks. Go to our website, winningponies.com. Pull down those easy win forms and have yourself a great weekend. Reach in those jeans and pull out some greens. As I look over the manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I want to remind everybody, bet with your head,
0: not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.